The goal of this podcast is to help you break in and thrive in advertising and marketing. And this week, we have a very special guest, Ben Perkert. Ben was a copywriter at some of the biggest brand and advertising agencies in the U.S. Interbrand, VSA, and RGA to name a few. But now he's a creative writer. He's got a book of poems called For the Love of Endings, and today, his debut novel, The Men Can't Be Saved, releases. His novel is set in the world of branding and begs the question, what do our jobs do to our souls? I've loved reading The Men Can't Be Saved, and for anyone looking for a breath of fresh air from a lot of the nonfiction in our world, Ben's novel should be your first stop. I'm Cooper Kolvig, and I'll be your host this week. Kick it, Mikey. All right, Ben, it's uh, a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Cooper. So I always start off my episodes with my guests breaking and entering story, how you, how you got into advertising and, and where your journey went from there. Yeah, for sure. So I was an English major in college. I graduated in 2007, right before the Great Recession, which is which may be relevant to, to our conversation today. But I, so I studied English. I loved creative writing. I loved poetry. I loved fiction. And then the real world hit. And it was like, what the heck am I going to do with, with this degree? And by the way, I, I happen to believe, I happen to be a big believer in, in the English degree and in the humanities, but it definitely, you have to be a bit creative, right? To figure out what are you, what are you going to do um, to pay bills when you're after, when you're leaving college? And I found a job as a copywriter at a branding agency. It was called Interbrand in, in New York City. And what especially drew me to that gig was uh, two things. First of all, they didn't call it copywriter. They called it creative writer in the job description. And that was, that was 100% how I identified. So they, they spoke my life. I didn't want to be a copywriter. I wanted to be a creative writer, writing taglines and ads and stuff like that. And then the other factor in me um, deciding on that job was that they, they responded to my email. Like I must have emailed, you know, probably 20 agencies and it was a lot of silence. And when Interbrand said that, you know, we want to, we want to talk to you, it was just, it was like the heavens opened up and I felt like that that's where I could begin. So did it turn out to be more of a, a create a creative writing role versus a copywriting role? Did they kind of split the hair there and, and find a way to kind of straddle both sides of the line? Or, or how did like reality of that kind of um, check in once you, you got to Interbrand? Yeah. I, well, I mean, listen, branding agencies are good at spin. That's what they do. So someone really smart in the department, I think, thought to themselves, hey, we could probably get more writers if we, if we branded this job at the branding agency a little bit differently. So part of me, the majority of, of me wants to say that it's sort of just a, a, a frame. It's sort of just spin. But I will say that I got to do a lot of naming projects. I got to do a lot of tagline projects for my job interview. You know, I, I showed them some poems that I had written in college, which now like the thought of that makes me cringe. But they, they indulge it, right? So 
uh, you know, I don't know what the breakdown is. Let's say 80% just sort of bullshit spin, 20% there was, there was some realness to it. Yeah, it's, that sounds about right. It, no, it's definitely a, a question and a thing that we get a lot on um, the podcast or just with, with folks that we're, we're networking with that a lot of times they're not totally sure what the the role is based on on what it's called because you'll have for your example a creative writer or copywriter and the the various different um roads that can go down but um just the the title like strategist or account manager can mean a million different things and it's not always um totally clear at at the beginning um but i guess could you say that when you're in, in high school and you're adolescence and you're starting to gain your appreciation for literature and your, your own writing, that it probably wasn't your, your dream to be an ad man? No, no, it wasn't. Um, I, you know, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to, I, it's, it's cliche, but I read Catcher in the Rye and I loved it. And, you know, even more than, than any particular book, I just loved my English teachers. They were always my favorite teachers. And I thought to myself, if I could major in English and then either be an English teacher myself one day or, or just devote myself to writing, that that's what, that's what I, would, I would be happiest doing. But it was actually my thesis advisor in college who, she's this brilliant poet. Her name is Jory Graham. And I went to her and I said, you know, Jory, I think after college is over, I think I want to get my MSA, my Master's of Fine Arts. I want to really do this creative writing thing. And she was the one who, against all odds, because she was not a very practical person. She was like a poet with flowing scarves. Like her, her whole brand was very different. She was the one who said, well, maybe get a, get a job in the real world and maybe, maybe try copywriting. And when she said that, I was like, come on, I don't want to do that. You know, that's not, that's not what Salinger would do. That's not what a real artist would do. But I'm so glad she gave me that advice because it it set me on a particular path. And in many ways, I, I loved working in branding and in many ways I didn't. But I then got to write this novel, which is so much about agency culture and the highs and lows of that world. So, you know, she she sent me down a road and I'm glad she sent it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm glad I took it. So some people find their, their creative exploits or creative self or creative passion um, while they're in the ad agency world or just the ad world, marketing, et cetera. Um, and then others come in um, with it already attached. They have their idea. You're definitely um, the latter. So, so being one of those people, advertising wasn't... Um, this industry that you were fighting tooth and nail to get into, but definitely saw a way for you to, to balance your passion. What did that look like? And how did you sort of get over that hump for yourself? Yeah. In 2007, when I was applying, like I said, I, I didn't get answers to every email that I sent out, but it was a better job market. In 2008, after the layoffs, it became a lot harder to break into the industry. And Obviously the economy has gotten quite a bit better and, you know, it, it, sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. But I, I think that in 2007, it felt like a different world getting into an agency. And now I think it's harder, frankly, I'm, I'm sympathetic to 
folks who are trying to apply and, and get their foot in the door. And especially on the copywriting side, when I applied, I didn't have a portfolio. I had some poems that I'd written and I had good grades and I, you know, I went to, to good schools. So that, that helped me. But now what I'm hearing is if you're a copywriter, if you want even an entry level position, you sort of have to have a portfolio that you're applying with. And that, I mean, that just seems so backwards to me, you know? Yeah, it, it's definitely come uh, a long way from from when you were getting in. And there were, you know, versions of of books back then and it was very tangible. It wasn't wasn't online. You didn't have a whole website for yourself. And and even for for many, you can have a, a kick ass portfolio and um, the timing doesn't line up or you uh, haven't had the right conversation at the right time or the networking isn't working out and it's um, kind of a tough beast, I think, for many. And there's definitely this this mystique about um, the ad world and, and it being a, a sought after industry to get into. So for someone who, you know, obviously didn't come with that background and, and this plan to um, get into the ad world, um, how did you begin to make sense of it? What did you think of it? Um, what did you love about it? And how did it help you balance? Um, I guess not even like the, the monetary gain, like you said, like your being able to live and also use your passion to do that and work on your own passions on the side. Yeah. And I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be as real as I can with, with your listeners in terms of my experience, because there were things that I loved and then there were things that I didn't love and I'm, I'm not really a part of that world anymore. But, you know, right when I started the job, the TV show, Mad Men debuted, and I loved that show. And I think also, by the way, that speaks to what you're talking about with the cachet of working in the, in the ad world. I think that show had a pretty, like a pretty huge impact, actually, just like Don Draper as a cultural symbol, whether you loved him or you hated him, he was pretty cool. Right. And like that, when I was applying for jobs and the show hadn't existed yet, being a brand copywriter or creative writer or tagline copywriter, it, it didn't. My friends didn't know what that was. I barely knew what it was. And then suddenly there was, you know, it, it, it had a social capital that it didn't have maybe in quite the same way before. But in terms of what I loved, you know, I, the chance to work with designers, the chance to work with strategists, the chance to work in a cross-disciplinary way, that was so cool. Um, being young and staying up late at night for a client. I mean, that was hellish at times, but it was so fun looking back. And, and especially the writer-designer relationship. I, I can remember so much of, of advertising, even more than branding, but that, that advertising model of you take a copywriter, you take a designer, and you put them together, and you see what comes out of it. And they you know sketch something, and then you write something to that sketch, and then they revise the sketch based on what you wrote. And then you revise what you wrote based on how they revise. And that's, that's so dynamic. And um, it feels very close to art making. But I say close because at the end of the day, I, I didn't have the deep investment in pushing product. I didn't have the deep investment in making the client happy. And a lot of the clients that I had were not clients whose 
products or whose missions I really believed in. And at the end of the day, it was pretty clear to me that, all right, you know, I've enjoyed working in an agency for my, a good chunk of my twenties. It's been, it's been fun and it's, it's allowed me to, to pay rent in New York city, which is no small thing, but I want to write my poems and I want to write this novel in particular. And when I realized that it was clear what I had to do. And so I, and so I got out. So before we, we jump out of, of the ad world and into your novel, um, and your, your book of poems that, that you have out, how did your time across Interbrand and, and VSA and RGA and, and Clark design all those different places or did those different places that help you flex your, your writing muscles or, or, or craft and, and hone them, um, in ways that got you to, to where you are. For sure. Yeah. I, lo I love your question. I think that, you know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm a creative writer, right? So I have no boss. I have no one imposing a deadline on me, telling me when I have to finish something, but when I was working at the agency, you know, a client needs something yesterday, right? You, like there's always a deadline. It's always gotta be better, faster. And that was not always fun, but it's like training an athlete. I, I think, and I'm not a particularly athletic dude, but like just getting in that mode of, I gotta write a really good tagline in the next 20 minutes, or I gotta distill this brand proposition by the end of the day, or I gotta, you know, whatever it is, right? Like website copy or anything. Working under a deadline and working for a client who is not necessarily inclined to like the work, that, that helps you. And now when I, when I wrote this novel, I'm very aware of the fact that there's no guarantee that a reader's gonna like this. Just in the same way that when you walk into a client meeting, there's no guarantee that the client's gonna like it. You have to fight for it and you gotta work really hard and really quickly. And so those are skills that I think working in an agency, it helps you with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. A lot of what you, you outlined, um, is kind of like the, what, I, what I'll call type two fun, where it's kind of the grind of, of what we do. Um, but often ends up leaving a lot of those, those lasting memories and, um, kind of outline some of the beauty of, of that scenario as well. But when you were in those, in those places and, and you hadn't moved on to, to being just a creative writer, um, how did you, you know, keep yourself, um, balanced and focused on, on your passion to write for yourself on the side? I think it, I sort of always knew, I mean, when I, when I took the job at the agency, if I had felt completely fulfilled, I think I would have done that for the rest of my life, you know? Um, but when it became pretty clear to me that mm, this client cares a lot more about this than I do, right? Like I'm, I, I want to do well because I'm, I'm a people pleaser and I'm type A and, and that's going to get me fairly far, but I don't, I don't have the itch to do this. I have the itch to do something else. I just started you know, rearranging my life to, to look like that. So, um, 
it's not that I was slacking, but I wasn't as keen to work on stuff that at 11 o'clock at night, or if I was going to work on something at 11 o'clock at night, it was not going to be the client project. It was going to be my own work. And there was also more travel in the industry. I mean, the pandemic has messed up everything, but we used to travel more for client presentations than, than happens now. And those long flights, I had a client in London. I, I probably went back and forth to London about 10 times. And those long flights, those were great for writing. And I, I just, I just found chunks of time wherever I had it, but eventually it was clear that I, I can't do both. And even my boss at Interbrand, uh, if you're listening, his name is Jason Bear. And Jason, he told me, you know, cause he knew I wanted to be a creative writer and you know, he, he, he told me, Ben, it's, it's going to be really hard for you to do both well. And he told me that during one of our, like, you know, like, like a performance review, basically like the end of the year, one-on-one. And when he said that, I was like, I think he's right. I think he's right. Maybe some people can do both. And I've met people at agencies who do, but, uh, I wasn't going to be able to do both well. So I, I had to get out. So what did it take to, to finally cross that line? Cause there are, there are folks even in, in my own life that I know who, who struggle with this balance, the, the painting behind me, I know folks can't, can't see it, but as, um, my uncle's and one of my mentors and someone who spent a lot of time, um, in, in the ad world as a designer, but his passion is, um, is painting. Um, and you've kind of crossed, crossed that chasm to dive headfirst completely, um, into your, your passion. What did that look like? How, how did this, uh, novel come to fruition? And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll start there. Yeah. Well, you're making, and it's a cool painting for those who can't see, um, I, you're making me sound braver than I am because the reality is the nature of freelancing, I think has changed so much. Like in the, in the Don Draper Mad Men era, you wanted to go write your, like that guy Cosgrove on the show, you know, he, he's, he wants to be a writer, right? If he's, if he wants to be a writer, he's got to just up and leave advertising. Well, now maybe you could work out a freelance thing or a permalance thing, you know, maybe two days a week, maybe, you know, there's more flexibility. And I did that for a while. I, I worked full time at Interbrand, but you mentioned RGA. I was permalancing at RGA three days a week for years. Same with VSA. Um, I freelanced for Siegel and Gale for, for a whole bunch of different places. And part of it was I needed the money, but also part of it was that I was afraid to make a clean break. And I, you know, I think that's both good and bad. Because part of me looks back at that time and wishes that I had made the move earlier because I knew in my heart that I wanted to get out. But for, you know, if you're contemplating and I realize, you know, our, the podcast is breaking and entering. So it's really more about getting into the industry than getting out of it. But for someone who is maybe thinking about moving on to something else, I think freelance is both a blessing and a curse because it allows you the flexibility to try but it's also sometimes you got to just like let go of the end of the swimming pool and, and just go for it. And I, I sort of wish I had done that earlier. 
Yeah, I, and and your comment on it being breaking and entering. Um, yes, we're we're here to help folks break in, but we're also there to help people thrive. And and thriving can be leaving the the other side as well. Um, your first novel, um, "The Men Can't Be Saved," will be coming out today. It's out. You can you can get it on on Amazon and. Um, a lot of the book has, has crossover with the ad world. How, how did your experiences in the ad world, um, bleed over into, um, your novel and, um, we can start getting into it from there. Yeah. So the book is set there, uh, for folks who haven't read it, um, you know, that I'm in the majority, so it's just out today, but. Uh, the main character is named Seth and he works at a, at a branding agency and Seth thinks he's hot shit. He's had one tagline that's gone viral and never mind that it's for a random brand of adult men's diapers that no one's ever heard of. He thinks it's, it's the best thing ever and it's going to make him partner one day. And then we see him fall and mess up and kind of lose it all, including, including his job. So. You know, I mean, the, the novel is a workplace novel. It's all about the branding at advertising world. And I'm using them interchangeably, but obviously there's, there's a distinction there. And, you know, I think that I, the question, you know, how, how did my experiences influence it? I, I, while I had some deep frustrations about working in an agency, I loved the characters. I loved the electricity. Like I, you know, that those late nights of, we, we were trying to win the Microsoft account when I was at Interbrand. I don't even know if I could talk about this, but whatever, who cares? So long ago, we, we were desperately trying to win the Microsoft account. And it was, you know, the recession was still real, right? So like, it kind of felt live or die. Like, but you know, an account like that can make an, an agency, obviously. And if you invest a ton into the pitch and you don't get it, you're screwed. Like, where do all those non-billable hours go? And so I just remember it was like all nighter after all nighter after all nighter. And you're delirious. And we were just like arm wrestling and drinking and, you know, like, like that, that sort of, um, late night, like shit just gets wild where I'm not even talking about like inappropriate necessarily, but it's just like, it's just, it, it's, it's fun. And people's personalities come out. And I just thought like, maybe I could write a novel that brought some of that joy and hilarity, but also the darker side too. Like, I, let me see if I could bring all of that into a book. Mad Men did it for the 1960s. Maybe I'll write a book about the branding and advertising world of today. And if I do that, people in that world would enjoy seeing it reflected. So that's, that's my hope. Yeah, I, I certainly did. Um, and I think even the world, the world has changed a little bit since then, but, um, it, it was dead on and I was able to, uh, seat myself, um, at the desk next to, to Seth and, and see and feel that buzz that's, that's going around as I do, um, every day here. And there's this main, main concept that you, uh, go go over through the book um where you know in in mad men and in the 50s those people referred to themselves as as mad men it was 
um, inherently tied to, to their sense of self. And, um, as we kind of talked about earlier, there's that, that mystique in this, um, way about, and culture about the, the advertising world. That's, that's super, um, intoxicating and, um, one that draws folks in, um, a lot of times, like it can be a, a driving force for, for someone to, to tie them themselves to that type of world. Why, why is that one of the key, um, problems that, that you kind of break down throughout the book? Hmm. The problem can be a bit more specific. The problem of what? Yeah, I guess, uh, rather than it being the problem, but like the concept of, of someone tying their, their self-worth to their job in this case being the, the advertising world. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, the problem there is when you get laid off from the job, what's left and, you know, we're seeing that now with, with my senses is that layoffs haven't been as bad in the agency world as they have in, in tech, for example. But if you wrap up all your self-worth as my character does, right? Like Seth lives and breathes copywriting. He, he, um, he loves the industry way more than I do, frankly. And the minute he's let go, which is kind of a spoiler, but you learn it pretty on or pretty early on the minute he's let go from his job, it's like, he's just, the, the shell has been cracked and we're watching him sort of like a hermit crab kind of scurry around trying to figure out like where, where, where he's, what his next home is going to be, what his next brand is going to be for himself. So I, you know, I think, and I'm not trying to be prescriptive. People have different relationships with their jobs. Some people love their jobs some people hate their job. If you find a job and you find meaning in it and you identify deeply as a doctor or as a lawyer or as a strategist at an agency, you know, that's awesome. Live and breathe it. But I think it's important to remember that those things aren't eternal. And someone above you can always say, hey, this is your last day. And what do you have to fall back? In the case of my main character, um, he's got to scramble. He's got to fight. And I think that's part of the fun my hope for the reader is that you, you watch him try to pick up the pieces in his really desperate self. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And then, uh, concepts and, um, a lot of research on the sociology side within even the strategy world folks are talking. Um, and obviously it's, it's pretty, um, obvious, but that consumers and people make their decisions many times on, on how they self-identify, how they want to self-identify and the cultural implications of those decisions, whether it's a, something as, as small as their clothes, the clothes we wear, the food we eat, the schools we go to, and our ability to sort of um, curate those things to to some extent. And, and like you mentioned, Seth's character's uh, sense of self is inherently tied to to the ad world and he is that hot shot winning an award and arrogantly feeling um above others and as you mentioned it, it doesn't go so well and he goes on his journey to either find or not um find himself but begin that journey but there are to your point like two 
two characters that, that do align with that world. And you have Moon and Josie, for example, um, who who fit, you know, whether they're good people or not, or always making the right decisions, um, found success um, within that world without having their sense of self being tied to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Josie, you know, so Josie and Seth, um, they have a fling in the office. They hook up in, uh, their boss's office late at night when everyone else, the agency is gone. And Josie's worldview about branding couldn't be more different than Seth's. Uh, Josie, you know, for her, it's just a job, but not only that, I mean, she sees branding as a pretty surface level exercise, like a pretty shallow thing. And for Seth, brands go deep. Brands are eternal. Brands impact the world. You know, I, I, I love that they fall on different ends of that because when I was working at the agency and I say agency, but I, you know, I worked at multiple agencies, but I ran into people who saw it, you know, one of those two ways, those two worldviews where oh my God, the work we're doing indoors forever and is changing the world versus this is all bullshit. You know, the, the, the logo is just, it's paper thin. The, the brand is a, is a bit of air. Like it, it's just, it's empty. And what was interesting to me was that you had people who had these two very divergent worldviews about the work, but it's not as if one was necessarily better at it than the other. Like in, like in my novel, I think Josie is more successful than Seth because she has that critical distance. She's not as personally invested. She sees it maybe for what it is actually. And I don't know. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe that's useful to, to someone in the industry in terms of how they think about it. Yeah. I get like knowing and, and identifying the balance between how much of yourself you're, you're going to put in it. And I think to your point, that line would, could vary for, from every person to person. Um, but that there are inherent dangers of, you know, head first putting all of yourself in, into the work that you're doing when you're, you're at an ad agency. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But there's also, you know, there's dangers too in, in creative writing or any field, right? Like you just, um, to love something like, you know, my wife and I, we have two kids and our toddler, um, he's just started potty training and I won't get too graphic, but he had a good night at potty training together. And, and so we got him this toy and he just loves this toy. Like it's a, it's a toy fire truck. And my wife and I were watching him with this fire truck and it's like, it's almost heartbreaking how cute it is because he just loves it so deeply. And you know, you love something and you believe in it so deeply, it, it puts you at risk, you know? Almost like the, um, kind of like the, the artist's dilemma where you're putting your thing out into the world for, for the first time as well. And not, not quite sure if you're able to, to put yourself out there. And I guess, yeah, it, 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 that can lead to, to being a major, major positive for, for many folks and can also can be an inherent danger and that's going to be on everyone individually, I guess, to figure out where that line is and what you're comfortable with and how much you're, you're willing to, to 
dive into it. And I know the the core question um, your novel kind of plays around with is what do our, our jobs do to our souls? Um, where I know I'm someone who, who falls on the side of the line where um, brands do mean a lot and they do have a ton of influence, but that I go to work every single day working with folks who have uh, their own more pragmatic view of it and we're still able to make really incredible work and, and stuff that makes the client happy and that, you know, we can at least feel um, accomplished in, in what we were able to do. Yeah, yeah. And not just feel accomplished, but, but accomplish things, right? I mean, I'm, you know, I, an agency is, is good when it has a diversity of opinion and when it has a diversity of people who approach it different ways. I think it's, I can remember being in client meetings where, you know, my view of, of the work was very different than someone else's view of the work, but you end up in an interesting place because of that difference, not in spite of it. And my hope is that different readers of this novel might see themselves in different characters. Um, because we have, and, and the entire book doesn't take place at, a, at an agency. He gets laid off relatively early on. But that idea of what work does to the soul, does it enrich it or does it restrain it? I think is, is central. So I love that your view of the work is maybe a little different than mine. And even those that, that we, you've worked with in the past and, and those that I work with currently. And there was, I was reading through your, your poetry book as well. Um, and it's called For the Love of Endings for anyone who wants to check it out. There's a line, and I know the context of the line is very different than the men can't be saved. But um, you write, like most men, I'll gaze at anything to avoid looking inward. And as the journey Seth takes in the book develops, it's clear that's definitely the um, mindset that he is in, uh, looking and blaming and pointing at everything possible for, for what's going on with him. Is there any crossover there between the two? Or is it just something that you've seen along the way? I, it's so It's uncanny, actually, because that single line you pulled out from the poetry book is the line that in many ways like like spawned or inspired the novel um that idea of looking out versus looking inward and do you remember that meme from like a couple of years ago about men will do anything other than go to therapy or like mm-hmm. men will you know, like walk through like antarctica in winter to avoid going to therapy or whatever i think there's a lot of truth to that i think that you know I grew up with an idea of masculinity that was antithetical to vulnerability and introspection and looking inward. And Seth is a character who is so desperately in need of that. But much as like Kendall Roy, I mean, I love Succession, you know, Kendall Roy can't see himself clearly. And he's a sensitive character. He's an interesting character. He's complicated. You know, is he good or bad? It's hard to say, right? He's like many of us, he's a mix. And with Seth, I wanted to, that's why I see him as sort of a, a tragic comic figure. The book is both really funny, I hope, but also not funny, you know, like who, who is this guy and what would change if he could actually see himself with any sort of perspective at all? Yeah. I'd even throw Dom Dra- Don Draper in that, that category and a lot of the, the male characters and 
in that show. Um, and for those who have, have or, or haven't watched, he, he goes on a, on his own journey, not similar to Seth's, but um, one where introspection versus outward looking is one that he battles with as well. Yeah. Yeah. There were, I mean, with Mad Men, there were always those interesting episodes where they go to California and they always felt random to me, but those were some of my favorites because now we're out of the agency world and we just like, what is Don Draper when he's not in that conference room? You know what I mean? Is he, is he still Don or is he just a guy? And that was part of the fun for me too of this novel was like, let me take these characters in the agency and then throw them outside into the real world and kind of see how they, they do or don't survive. Yeah. And, and Don tends to, um, look like a crab without a shell, as, yeah. as, as, as you mentioned in those, those episodes, they're always, uh, definitely you, you feel something a little bit different and, and I definitely, um, felt differently after, after finishing your novel and, and even started looking inward, um, at myself a bit more because, you know, we were talking about how people can, can fashion themselves with, with brands and how, how they want to be seen from, from the outside, but you can only control so much of that. And when you introduce chaos, like Seth being, um, laid off, then all of a sudden the, the real world work, um, happens. Yeah. Yeah. And same for me in writing it. Right. I mean, people, I've talked to other people about the book and, um, you know, they'd ask me like, Do you, have you met people in your life who are like Seth? Have you met people in your life who are really like moon? Part of me wants to say, you know, I have part of those guys in, right? Like if I'm being honest, like, you know, these are characters that came out of me. Um, that's not to say that I would, that I'm the same or that I would do what they do. I, I absolutely wouldn't. Right. I mean, moon is, he's much more that Roger Sterling, like shoots from the hip. He's like loud egotistical and in a way that I hope that I'm not, but I think the title of the book is the men can't be saved. And, and if we are going to be honest as people, honest as men looking inward at ourselves and, and doing that work and identifying, you know, what, what it is that we value in ourselves versus what it is we want to work on. I think that that's a place to begin. Yeah. And that goes for for anyone, ad world, marketing world, branding world, in in general. And I have had my own journey looking inward, um, but the book is an awesome place to, to start feeling that out for those who haven't as much or anyone who has uh, in between those two worlds. Um, and it was, I mean, I, I had to, I couldn't put it down after the first read. I had to just read it for for myself before picking it apart a little bit more to talk with you about it today, Ben, but it's, it's coming out today. I know you're doing a little tour for it as well. Not even a little one, um, fairly large one and speaking about it on a couple other podcasts. So I want to make sure you get any, any last words in about the book, where folks can get it, what to be looking out for. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Cooper. I've loved doing it. And thanks for, you know, reading the book as thoughtfully and as, as generously as you have. Yeah. So anyone can buy the book on, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. 
We're doing an event tonight at Books Are Magic, uh, the Montague location in Brooklyn Heights with my friend Hanif Abdur-Aqib. He's a uh, music critic, basketball critic, poet. He just does it all. He's brilliant. So I'm psyched about that. And then, uh, yeah, going to, we're not doing the West Coast, um, partially because I just have young kids and so I can't get out there, but we'll do an event in Jersey City and Boston um, and then back in New York. And then I'm going to Miami and I'm going to Nashville for, there's some book festivals there. So I'm excited, but but to be honest, I mean, New York City is where I, I wrote this book. It's it's where all the agencies that I worked at are located. And so I'm, I'm especially excited to, to share it with folks here, you know? Yeah, it's it's super exciting, and it was super refreshing for me to be reading a novel that's that's fiction, but but set in the the world that I live in and work in every day. Because oftentimes we're reading a lot of effectiveness papers and sociology-based books and psychology-based books and brand behaviors and 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 studies. Um, not to say that none of that is valuable, but it is uh, was an absolutely uh, great um, and huge breath of fresh air to dive into The Men Can't Be Saved. And Ben, it was uh, an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and appreciate you coming on and, and talking about it with me. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. Thanks for having me.